Hey, folks, this is Kevin. Listen, Risk wants your stories. Uh, we've got a show coming up called So Emotional. Can you think of a time that you were completely devastated or super psyched or um, ashamed? Maybe a time everyone thought you were wrong. Sometimes it helps to just think of moments in your life when something happened that kicked you in the butt and motivated you to go after something. Or you had an aha moment. There was a turning point. We have a show coming up called The Spirit. Ever had a religious experience? Or came into contact with paranormal activity? Ever just surprised yourself or been blindsided by someone else? Plenty of people have good worst injury stories. The worst public embarrassment story. The worst fight you've ever been in. A time you were fired. Maybe you've been in a situation where you felt like a fish out of water. Or just any situation where you were wondering, what the hell is really going on here? Or a memory that's painful to think back on. Or a memory that, to think back on it, gives you hope. We're going to be doing near-death stories soon. And firsts are always good. Like the first time, you fucked a goat. If you're worried about issues like privacy, anonymity... We have ways of dealing with that kind of stuff, so ask about it. Just check out the submissions page at risk-show.com. There's helpful tips on how to pitch a story to us there. And if we like it, we will put it on the show. Show? What show? The one that starts like this. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. Uh, this is uh, Black Ant behind me now with a song called Government Funded Weed. Sounds like a good idea while we're on the subject. Yes. <laughs> Government Funded Weed might be precisely the thing to serve as a good buffer <laughs> for the questionable terrain into which you are about to go on today's episode that we call Indecent? I put a question mark there because I don't like to judge. There are things I like a good deal that might be thought of as profane. One man's indecency is another man's castle, or other nice things. We're going to get the ball rolling with Risk regular Elna Baker. Elna is doing a lot with This American Life these days. We always consider it a treat when she does the show. Here she is at a recent Risk Live show in New York City. This is Elna Baker with a story we call not for babies. So at the age of 26, the longest relationship I'd had was maybe three weeks. And, you know, at the time I was a Mormon and I was a virgin and I mostly dated guys who weren't Mormon. And I couldn't figure out why I couldn't make it work. You know, I thought maybe there was something wrong with me. So I started reading all these manuals about like how to get a guy from, you know, he's just not that into you to why men marry bitches, uh, which I read cover to cover. <laughs> um, and, you know, I would read all this stuff really intently, just trying to figure out what are men thinking? And then I met Carlos. 
Uh, I moved to LA for this brief stint and I was, you know, auditioning, but I needed money. So I took a job working for a friend. Uh, I would nanny for her two and a half year old son, Carlos. And Carlos was like this little sort of Ferris Bueller character. Uh, the first day I met him, he was wearing like cut-off jeans and a hipster t-shirt, and he had like floppy hair in front of his face. He kind of looked like Jared Leto in my so-called life. <laughs> and he just sort of showed up, and the parents left, and you know, I babysat him, put him to bed, they came home. And that night I was supposed to go to a party, so I asked you know, if they wouldn't mind if I took a real quick shower. And they're like, yeah, no problem. So I jump in the shower, and I'm about halfway through when I get this weird feeling that someone is watching me. So I turn and standing there is Carlos, wide awake, just staring at me. And he sort of takes his hand and he points at my crotch and he says, vagina. <laughs> and then he runs out of the room and I, and I was like, oh no, no, no. And I felt like mortified. I was like, oh no, I have to tell his parents. And I, I mean, I didn't invite this to happen, but I feel like somehow it's my fault. I had all this shame. So I go out into the living room, and his parents are there, and I tell them what happened. And they just laughed. They were like, oh, yeah, Carlos is, he's really curious right now. And, you know, we try to be really okay with that, and we're just trying to teach him the right words for the different body parts, and, you know, not to make him feel like it's wrong at all. And this is, like, the exact opposite approach to what my parents had growing up Mormon. I mean, like, we had bottoms and front bottoms. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> That's all. And I, I still remember one time, I was like three or four, and we were at a grocery store, and for some reason I thought it would be fun to lift up my shirt in public and, and say, look at my bee stings. <laughs> Which is totally appropriate if you want free beads. I was ahead of my time. But my mother just yanked me around the corner and said, never do that again. She was so angry with me. And I feel like that sort of became my like, adult approach to my sexuality. And, and that it was something to be ashamed of. And here I was babysitting Carlos, and suddenly my job was to hide that shame and just make it seem like everything was okay. Which was very hard to do, because for the year that I babysat Carlos, every single day the same thing happened. He would come up to me at some point and, and just say, can I see your boobs? <laughs> and I'd be like, no, Carlos. He'd be like, but... I just want to feel that they are there. I'd be like, they're here, Carlos. And there was always some new reason. Or I remember one time I was making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and I was holding him. And he had his hands set on my chest, but I thought he was just trying not to fall backwards. And then he looked up at me and said, I'm not touching your boobs. And I was like, get your hands off of my boobs. And, uh, you know, every day he would find some new reason or try some new thing. And this went on for months. And then one day I went to pick something up and I bent over and my shirt buttons popped open and he saw my bra. And it was like he'd been waiting for this for months. And he was like, oh, can I see your boobs? And, uh, you know, I started to button my shirt up and I say what his mother says when he goes to do something like reach for a hot plate or a sharp object. She always says, not for babies. So I'm buttoning my shirt up and I say, not for babies. And then I'm like, actually, mm. <laughs> entirely for babies. <laughs> but you cannot see my boobs. <laughs> and then a little later, that same day, he had, I'd set him on a chair, and he was about eye level, and he just looked at me and said, am I tall enough to see your boobs? <laughs> I was like, is that all it's come down to? And, you know, his parents were totally aware that this was going on. They just thought it was really funny. One time we were all at dinner together, and Carlos invented by far the best pickup line I'd ever heard. He just came up to me, and he put his hands on my knees, and he said, I wish that your shirt was a rocket ship. And I was like, why? And he's like, because then I could take it off. <laughs> I was like, oh, I walked right into that. And, you know, he would get really, really frustrated. Like, he would get mad that he couldn't see my boobs. And watching him get so frustrated, it sort of reminded me of, of the guys I was going on dates with as, as a Mormon, right? Because I would go out with a guy, and he would, I would, you know, say that I didn't have sex. And then you just watch their, you know, they would shift, and they'd be like, oh, well, if, if you don't have sex, what can you do? Which is like, like, what am I going to get out of this date? Like, will I get to have a ejaculate? <laughs> That's what the grown-ups are calling it, guys. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, and I felt like watching Carlos manipulate these same steps, it was like this window into pure male thought. You know, because he would always try to find ways around it. Like one, one day, 
were in the car, I was driving somewhere, and his mother's sort of flat-chested, so, so he starts the conversation by saying, my mom doesn't have boobs. She has nipples. But you have boobs, so you don't have nipples? And I don't know why I engage, but I immediately, I'm like, no, I have nipples. Obviously, I have nipples. And he's like, oh, can I see your nipples? And then one day he was like, let's build a fort. And like, I'm like the Mary Poppins of babysitting. So I was like, yeah, let's build a fort. And so I get like chairs and a sheet and I put it on the fort. And he's like, all right, you know, get in the fort. And I'm like, oh, let's, let's get pillows. And he's like really impatient. He's like, just get in the fort. <laughs> and then I'm like, I get a flashlight. I'm like, let's get flashlights. And I'm like, oh, we can cut out stars and tape it. And the whole time he's just like, get in the fort. <laughs> so then I finally get in the fort and he crawls on top of me and grabs my boobs. And I was like, oh, that was the whole reason for the fort. <laughs> and, you know, I, you know, it wasn't just, like, wanting to touch my boobs. He would say these things that I, I would think, like, is that how men think? Is that really how they think? Like, if I would come into work with my hair tied in, like, a tight bun, Carlos would sort of come up and be like, mm, I think that you should wear your hair down because uh, it makes me want to, to grab it and ride you like a horse. <laughs> men can't possibly, that can't possibly be how men think. And you know, it was like this blind spot to me. Like my whole life I had thought that maybe there was something wrong with me, but then I started to realize, I was like, maybe the thing that's wrong is that men just want sex. Like, and I'm not offering that. And like, maybe, and I started to be like, oh, men are perverts. Everyone, and like I would go out with guys and I'd just hear like, can I see your boobs? Like Carlos was everywhere. Can I see your boobs? And I was like, and I remember I was like so frustrated when I was like, I'm just getting, I went out and I went to get a massage and it was this old Chinese man and he gave me like a really, it was actually kind of a sensual massage. And then afterwards I was like, oh, thank you. And he was like, no, thank you. And I was like, oh, everybody's a pervert. Young men, old men, everyone's a pervert. And by far the most perverted thing Carlos ever said happened uh, one night we were, we were out at a museum and like I had to go to the bathroom and he's two and a half so you have to bring the kid into the stall. So I bring him to the stall and I tell him to face the door and I'm like peeing discreetly and I just see him like slowly turn and then I see his head kind of start to tilt. I'm like, Carlos? He's like, can I see your buns? And I was like, no, Carlos. And then he, he was like, oh, but... I just want to put my face in them. <laughs> Which I was like, and he said it like, no, it's nothing bad. I, I just want to put my face in them. Which to me, I had this epiphany in that moment where I was like, I suddenly realized the difference between men and women. Like, as a little girl, like little girls, like butts are gross. Like, that is where poop comes out of. That is what a butt is. But for a little boy, a butt is like, they see a butt and they're like, oh, there's this small crease, this space at the bottom that it seems like my nose would fit into perfectly. Like, it's a missing puzzle piece. And they would just put your nose. Like, that's what you're supposed to do. And in that moment, it was suddenly this realization that that was just natural. That's naturally what he thought. And I, I think I had spent so much time villainizing it or thinking that people were perverted for having these thoughts. But that's just how guys think. And, I, and after that, like, it really kind of relaxed me a little bit. And, you know, it took another two years for me to eventually, you know, dabble with enough stuff that I lost my virginity. And I'm not saying that the two-and-a-half-year-old that I babysit helped me lose my virginity. <laughs> That would be crazy. <laughs> but I will say that the two-and-a-half-year-old that I babysit helped me let guys see my boobs and then eventually go down on me. And then eventually I lost my virginity. <laughs> Thank you. My name is Michael Pope. I am a self-taught filmmaker born and raised in New York City. And all of the misadventures of my life can be tracked back to that one singular decision. To at the age of 28 years old, completely unskilled in the medium, go for my super secret lifelong dream of becoming a filmmaker. So 
cut two, two years later, after that fateful decision, motherfucker needs to get himself a job. For the past two years, I'd been living off of money that I earned from the sale of a bike messenger company that I co-owned and operated here in the city. And I'd taken that time and spent every minute of every day and every fucking penny I've got making my first film just to wake up with a blistering hangover to find myself flat fucking broke with an unfinished first film staring me down from the corner of my place. $28.97 in my bank account and this mystery stack of unopened mail on my desk is all unpaid bills and disconnect notices. Not because I'm a bad guy, mind you. It's just linear earth time is a little bit harder for some of us than others. So I do what anybody doing the struggling artist routine in New York did back then. I run out, I grab myself a copy of The Village Voice. Now, for those of you too young to remember, The Village Voice is where pre-internet people used to go to get themselves a shit job in a quick pinch. So I'm trolling through the unemployment section, pen in hand, in the faint hopes that I might find myself a gig. And there at the bottom of the page, I see a post in bold type that just says, Men. Phones. No sales. Clearly, this is a sign from the gods because I'm a man and I know how to use a phone. So I call the number and the woman is all like, interview. And I'm all like, yeah, that would be great. And she's all like, 3 p.m. today. And I'm all like, yeah, that would be great. Because the thing is, when you are doing the struggling artist routine, you don't have time for these things we call details in life. Woman, you had me at interview. So I start racing around my place, right? I'm completely stressed out because I've now got to somehow pull myself together for this interview that I am completely unprepared for. At that point, I'm living a life that just, it doesn't leave time for things like laundry and showers, (laughs) personal hygiene as a general concept. An hour and a half later, I'm walking up from my place on 12th Street and Avenue A to their office on 34th Street and 5th Avenue. It's actually in the Empire State Building. And I'm dressed in this wrinkled men's shirt that's a size and a half too big for me. I've got on one white sock and one black sock. I've got on these dress shoes that I've fished off the street about a month earlier. And I'm wearing this pair of black dress pants with a tear straight down the ass from belt loop to crotch. The plan is, though, (laughs) you see, I call it the plan of no plan, which is awesome because I never have a plan, which means I've always got a plan. The plan is I'm going to wrap myself up in this long, dark coat that I've got. You know, the kind of coat people get so they can walk around looking all long, dark coat sexy. Only somehow mine is transformed in this Salvation Army reject with a visible tear in the shoulder, all the buttons pulled off, and both the pockets torn out. I'm thinking to myself, hey, you know what? No problem. Maybe they'll be distracted by the blood that's oozing out of my face because I have attempted to shave with a dull disposable razor that I found under a stack of dirty dishes in the sludge of my kitchen sink. Any idea I had, any inkling of hope I had been holding out that I might possibly get hired for this gig shot straight to hell the minute I walked through the door of their office and find myself in this room filled shoulder to shoulder with beautiful gay men. And there is a gay spice boy for every version of gay you can imagine. There is sporty gay, there is intellectual gay, there is leather gay, and there's me. Bruce comes bounding in. Bruce is one of these big, round, happy, hairy gay guys, what some people in the gay community might refer to as a bear. Hi, guys. I'm so excited you made it down. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Now, let me explain what we're going to do, okay? What we're going to do is you guys are going to break up into groups of three, okay? Each group I'm going to take into the back. He sees me. I don't know if you guys have ever had the opportunity to stop a grown man in mid-sentence by simple virtue of your existence. Not a high-water mark moment. True to his word, Bruce does, in fact, split us into groups of three using what appears to many to be some kind of mystery logic, but makes complete sense to me as he puts me in the very last group. See, Bruce is hoping that my heroin addiction, uh, the one I do not have nor have ever had, is going to rear its ugly head, driving me out of the office, down to the street, to hustle up some spare change for a quick fix, and I'll forget I was ever there. But you see, Bruce, while I might not be willing to explain to you the functioning mechanics of the universe as I know them right now, what I will tell you is that my film and your job have been brought together by forces greater than you or me, so I'm not going anywhere, pal. Three hours 
later. My group gets pulled into the back. The office is like any typical telemarketing office. It's got uh, wall-to-wall carpeting, long tables, partitioned off into individual cubicles, each cubicle with its own phone. Only this table is lined with the United Nations of women of all various shapes and sizes, all in various throes of fake orgasm. Bruce brings us into the back where we sit at our own cubicles with our own phones. It's me, Club Gay, and Lumberjack Gay. Okay, guys, so as you know, this is a phone sex company, and we are hiring agents for our gay phone sex line. And that would be an example of those little things called details that so often pass me by in life. And as I would have thought that it was glaringly obvious that I am not gay, based just purely on the state of my personal hygiene, I'm in for a dime, I'm in for a dollar, and I'm in it to win it, Bruce. Give me your best shot. Okay, guys, so let me explain. We run thousands of advertisements in hundreds of different papers across the country, each one offering their own specialties to our various clients. You see, it's important that you understand. What we do here isn't real. It's the theater of the imagination. As I am clearly living in the theater of the absurd right now, I've got to tell you guys, I consider this distinctly home court advantage. What we're going to do is we're each going to do a pretend call, just as if it's a real call with a real client. I'm going to play the client. I want you to pick up the phone. Yeah, pick it up. Hold it. Yeah, right to your ear. Yep, yep. Lean back in your chair. Close your eyes. Bruce starts with Club Gay. For Club Gay, Bruce is Dan. Dan is a real estate agent from Colorado. Now, Club Gay is clearly uncomfortable with this whole theater of the imagination business, but he does give it his best shot. Oh, man, I'm so horny. Yeah, just sitting here. Horny. Are you horny? Bruce moves on to Lumberjack Gay. For Lumberjack Gay, Bruce is Pete, a car dealer from New Jersey. Now, now Lumberjack dives right the fuck in, but he just keeps saying, Oh, man. Oh, man. Over and over and over again. Clearly, Bruce thinks this entire group is a fucking bus. Let me just get done with the scary guy right quick. I still might catch the 6 o'clock bus out of here. But you see, Bruce E. of little faith, there is a simple beauty to having nothing left to lose in life. Because when you got nothing left to lose in life, you got nothing left. I pick up the phone. I lean back in my chair. And I close my eyes. And I take just a brief moment to apologize to my own imaginary gods. Bruce is Bill. Bill works on Wall Street. Oh, Bill, I wish I was right there in the room with you, man. Standing there in the room with you. Standing right there in front of you. Buck fucking naked. Would you like that, Bill? Yeah. I'd stand there, Bill, just looking down at you. Looking down as your eyes trace across my body, over my broad shoulders and my deep cut pecs, down my tight belly till your eyes lock frozen on my hard fucking cock. And, Bill, I've got a cock the size of a man's forearm. Veins wrapped round it like ivy. Do you like that, Bill? Yeah. And then I'd take your hand, Bill. Lift it up real slow from your side. Press it right into my chest. Press it in so tight you can feel my nipple in the palm of your hand like a small burning bullet. And then I'd lean in real close to you, Bill. Like I'm whispering something in your ear that only you get to hear. Lean in so close you can feel my breath on the hair of your neck. And then I'd reach down, Bill. And I'd take your other hand. Hold it tight in mine, tight like a fucking vice grip. And I'd lift it up from your side, Bill, and I'd wrap it slowly around my thick, hard cock. Press 
pressing it in so tight you can feel my heart beating through the thick, burning meat. And you would squeeze it, wouldn't you, Bill? Yeah. And then I'll push you down to your knees, Bill. Push you down until you're kneeling and right there in front of me. Right there in front of my naked body. Your lips one lean away from the tip of my cock. And then I'll push my hips forward, Bill. Pressing my cock into your mouth. Opening it wider and wider as I fill your mouth with the hot meat. Pushing it over your tongue, filling your entire mouth. And then I'll take you by a fistful of your hair, Bill. And pull it just tight enough to sting. And I'll pull you down on me. And I'll start fucking you, Bill, as you suck on my thick cock. I'll start fucking you right in your mouth. Pulling your head down onto me. Pushing my hips forward. Fucking you deeper and deeper. Opening your mouth wider and wider as I fuck you in your fucking throat, man. Pulling you down onto me. Making you mine. Making you my fucking bitch. Fucking you deeper and deeper. I open my eyes. Bruce has gotten up out of his chair. He has crossed the room and is standing directly above and behind me. Just going. Out of 40 people that applied for a job that day, I was the only one hired. The Minor Birds, song called Generals, kick-ass song. Now, we just heard Michael Pope, Pope like the guy in the pointy hat. Just Google him or, or look him up on Twitter at Pope is Gay for Pay. He's doing the show at Edinburgh this year, the Fringe Festival there. I was performing at our friend Jefferson's show, Spill. It's a queer-themed storytelling show, and Michael was also telling this story that night. And listening to it, I realized I applied for a job from the Village Voice. Uh, I had to go to the Empire State Building. It was a gay sex phone line audition, and the boss was a big bearish guy named Bruce. I could have been one of the 39 that day. And I walked away feeling like my very prowess, you know, had been <laughs> dismissed. Damn you, Bruce. Our next story also comes from a storytelling show I saw last week. It was actually recorded by someone there on a flip cam. But I thought that this story was so great that if we could get it sounding good enough, we'd, we'd put it on. This is our good friend, the hilariously hilarious Mr. Dave Hill. And The Jukebox is a wonderful show. Look it up at thejukeboxshow.com. It's hosted by Steve Heisler, Steve Jacobs, and Margaret Lyons. So here is Dave Hill at The Jukebox Show with a story we call Urine Town. Should I, I stand here? I probably could have just kept that in my brain and then said that. <laughs> yeah, I should stand in the center of the stage at the mic. Um, I moved here uh, to New York City in 2003 from Cleveland. Thank you. Um, thank, look, thank, look, thank you. And 
in the time that I've been, I mean, in the time that I've been here, and, and I'm sure all of you experience this as well, when everyone talks about, like, oh, like, New York City's lost its edge, it's losing its edge, like, it's not, like, there was a time, as I understand it, when you can walk down the street, like, just, like, open a beer and just, like, drink a beer and then just, like, whip your dick out and just, like, start pissing all over, like, just hosing down the streets of New York City with your piss, like, whatever. And you might get, like, a little raped or whatever. But the point is, it's a trade-off. It's a trade-off. And, and now, now, all these years later, we, you know, you can't do that, but you can you can get like a really nice brunch. Like a lot of, like every, basically every neighborhood. You get a really nice brunch and you know. But I find myself, and I live, I, but you know, part of me is like, I, I love, uh, I love brunch and I love coffee shops and I love like Thai food. I, I like all the stuff that happens when uh, stuff is less cracky or whatever. Uh, I'm into all that stuff. But there's, and I live in the West Village, like in the heart of adorable town, like Sarah Jessica Parker. I, I'm not saying like, oh, I'm doing really well. I live in the one shithole, build, shitty building in the whole neighborhood that's like reasonably cheap. And, and I love it. I love going out and getting like a love nice muffins and stuff. I'm into all of it. All of it. I love all of it. And, uh, but I find myself rooting for like Mary's Fish Camp. Do you know that place? There's one out here. Yeah, it's a reputable place. Uh, so, it's like, and I like that. They're, they serve good food and, and, and they're very nice. But I remember recently like someone had like spray painted like their whole doorway. And I was kind of like, good, good, because, like, it gives Tom a bit of grit, you know? And I saw, like, a homeless guy, like, jerking off on West 12th Street, and I was like, thank you, sir. You know? Because, like, I'm like, I, you know, I'm conflicted about it. Uh, so sometimes bad things happen, and I sort of root for them. I'm like, good, good, good. But then when they happen to me, I'm not as much into it. Um, okay. Um, so... The reason I bring all this up is, so, so anyway, like, I'm like, oh, well, like, um, I, so a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago at this point, um, I was coming out to Littlefield to do a show, uh, and I was running late, and, and I was all dressed up, I was wearing a suit and everything, it was a very classy show, and I was like, oh, I gotta get out, and they're like, Dave, you gotta be on time, we gotta do sound check, blah, 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 and so I'm like rushing out there, and, and I'm, I'm near 28th and Broadway, uh, and I get on, I'm going to take the R train. So I got a reputable train right here in town. But I'm very, I'm so hungry. And um, uh, and there's a gyro cart right by the subway. So I get a gyro, I order a gyro, and the guy's got like all like, the yogurt sauce and the hot sauce and the garlic sauce. And I'm just like, don't hold back on me, motherfucker. I am just like, sauce out of all those things, you know? I'm just, she's just like, fucking got jizzing on all my, my gyro. So I'm like, thank you. And I go down on the subway and I get on the train and I unwrap and I start eating and it's like dripping all over all this stuff. Because the guy, like, just really sauced the fuck. Like, he you know, like, took it to heart and I just, just really sauced the fuck out of this gyro. And it's dripping all over the place. And then it occurs to me it's rush hour and the train is packed and, I, and, 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 and I'm like, wow, this is probably not very cool. Like, all this gyro meat is probably wafting around. Around and people are like, that fucking guy looks incredible. Don't get me wrong. He looks great. Looks great. So I have a suit and hair and, and uh, but like it's not very cool what he's doing with that gyro. So I'm like, thing, best thing I can do for everyone on this train and for the city of New York in general is to get off at the next stop. And I get off the next stop and I walk all the way down to the end of the platform to finish the gyro, because like, I don't even want to bother the people on the platform with the gyro. This is how I live my life, like, just like, considerate uh, citizen. And I go all the way to the end, and I finish my gyro, and then I'm thinking, well, I, the, the wrapper was all gross, the foil and the napkins was all drippy, and I was like, I should throw this out. I ate it next to the, uh, this black metal storage, you know they have the black metal storage bins at the end of platforms, right? Not like a Norwegian black metal store, which would be so fucking sweet. I think it's a matter of time, matter of time before we were there. Uh, but it's just a, 
regular black metal <laughs> storage bin. So I'm thinking like, well, I can't throw it out. Uh, I, I don't want to throw it on the ground or I want to throw it on the tracks. Like the best thing I can do in this scenario is to set it on the, the black metal storage bin. And that way at least the person who has to clean up doesn't have to bend over. They can just sort of like knock it into their bag. Like it might even be a little fun for them. Like maybe, I don't even know. So I set it down and then I'll, all of a sudden I hear this like rustling and rumbling like <sighs> and it turns out there's there had been a homeless guy camped on the other side of the uh, the storage bin so he gets up and he's like really angry like I, like I woke this like sleeping giant and he gets up and he's just like back up back up and I was just like alright what's this guy gonna do and I back up like a little bit and then he's like back up and get this rapper out of here get this trash out of here and he swats my my trash and then he's like back up and then, and then it occurs to me, like, this guy wasn't, like, just, like, it was, he wasn't, like, uh, kind of home, like, it wasn't, like, a phase he was going through, where you're like, oh, well, Don will be fine in a couple weeks, like, this is, like, super crazy caveman homeless guy, like, super... So I'm like, this might not even be about me. Like this could be like some imaginary guy that he's in a fight with. So like I moved like a little more again, and then finally he's like, ah, back up, bro, throw this bottle of piss on you. And from out of nowhere, like a like a ninja or a superhero, he like whips out this huge Gatorade bottle, like, and not like, oh, I'm gonna grab a Gatorade real quick and I have a Gatorade. It's like, I'm gonna drink only Gatorade for like a week. It's that size bottle. It's like a huge fucking bottle. Only instead of being filled with like blue or green liquid, or, you know, it's filled with, with piss. And I don't know how, like, uh, how many of you, uh, people here have pissed in a bottle before? You have, sir. I feel like you guys are all full of shit. Like, every, I mean, I was pissing in a bottle, like, in the back of this room. Before I put it. But if you've pissed in a bottle before, you know, like, if you've never pissed in a bottle, you think, like, when, when you really have to go, like, uh, oh, man, like, I just pissed, like, six or eight gallons of piss. But, like, we don't. If you, when you piss in a bottle, we as, you realize, we as humans, we only piss, like, a little. It's not that much, really, in the big picture. So, to fill, like, a huge... Like a, like a liter bottle of Gatorade, that's like a lot of pissing. Now, if you factor in that the homeless are like a historically dehydrated people, this could be God knows how many weeks and weeks of piss. And so he's like, back up, brothers, and he says it as if like I have an option, like back up or or I'll throw this bottle of piss on you and, and I'll be like, oh, okay, I think I'll back up, maybe. And, uh, but he says it all at once and before he even finishes the sentence, he's already got the, the lid off this thing and it just like blasts me, like, right. And like homeless or not, his aim was incredible. And um, it was just like, and like at this point it's all happening in slow motion, like I turn away and like he's just blasting I see this just this this arching rope of just like buttery hobo people. I know. Imagine how I was just like coming out and I'm like, no and at first it hits my hair. I know, can you imagine like the time that goes into this just KO'd right away by this uh, piss. It's like dripping down, it's dripping down my neck. And it's like dripping down my suit. Somehow, like I turn enough to miss my eyes and mouth. And like dripping all down my back. And it's dripping down my ass. It's all in my ass. My underwear is soaked. Like he had effectively wet my pants. <laughs> oh man. And then, you know, like normally if someone, someone would be like, oh Dave, what would you do if a total stranger just covered you in his own piss? I would be like, oh man, I fucking kill that guy. Like, I'd punch him and hurt his feelings and all that. Uh, you know, but when it actually happened to me, that wasn't my reaction at all. I was just like, I'm getting the fuck out of here. Because if you think about it, if you're 
if your opponent's first move in a confrontation is to just cover you in his own tits, like what's next? Like this guy's like a shit can. I was just like, touche, you win this round. I have no problem with you, really. Like I don't know. It's like I'm getting out of here, and um, so I'm like, oh. You know, and I go and I go back out on the street, and I'm walking down the street, and it's still light outside, and and you know the 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 hobo piece are coming down, coming down my cheeks and my neck, and then these like rivulets down, down my, running down my body, and I'm like trying to shake it off. I'm like Jennifer Beale in the hit movie Flashdance. There's piss flying everywhere, but I can't. You know, and it's still like coming down. And it's forming like these little globules, these balls of piss. And uh, you know, at this point in the story, I'm getting kind of irritated, right? And uh, and 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 like, and then the sun's coming down, and I'm looking through the balls of piss, and it's forming these rainbows and prisms and everything. And suddenly, all that pain and anger fell away because it's when it hit me like, this town is back. <laughs> I am a person with short hair, and people think that means that I like sports. In fact, I do not like sports. I don't know anything about sports. I don't know what season it is. You can talk to me for a long time about Yankee radio, um, and I'm just going to sit mute because I will have no idea how to respond to you. I am not into sports. Um, and also, I like a difficult woman. That is what I like best in life. So I was working uh, in the mid-2000s on the Philadelphia Dyke March, because uh, that's what dykes do. We like to uh, organize things instead of fucking. And there was a woman there. Uh, she had a little baseball cap, which I'm sure had some kind of sports team on it. And she would wear a wolf t-shirt, and she would wear a fanny pack, and sometimes she would eat hummus. And she would also attempt to flirt with me. I believe she even flirted with me once when she had hummus in her mouth. And... I was flattered because I'm flattered by all female attention, but I just kept thinking, honey, this will not work. You are too Manila. You are not the right woman for me. So finally, after some time, she convinced me to go out on a date with her. And we went on the date to Applebee's. And then we went to see what I th a movie afterwards, and I'm like 95% sure it was a Disney movie of some type. And I thought, this will not work. She is too vanilla. This is not the right woman for me. And then... She kissed me on the way out, and I thought, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe we could even, maybe I, maybe I could try. You know, I got that little tingling sensation. And then she got a phone call, and she said, oh, my uncle's gone into the hospital. I need to go help him. And I thought, oh, great. This will never work. Uh, she is too vanilla. This is not the right woman for me. She called me the next day and said, oh, man, Kel, I'm so sorry. It didn't work out last night. But you know what? Let's get together. I'm going to take my kids to the ball game. And I thought, so I went along and she loved it. it was actually one of those minor league games she's like oh they have these great giveaways and they give away the big foam number one and they shoot t-shirts to the cannon and they gave away these little tiny baseball bats and as she was like totally elated to be in this like completely uh, vanilla situation I just thought this will not work she is too vanilla this is not the right woman for me so we got done, and uh, she dropped off her kids. And she said, you know what? Why don't I come over? And I thought, oh, what, to watch ESPN? This will not work. She is not the right woman. She is just too vanilla for me. So we were making out and taking off our clothes. And thank God then she finally took off her fanny pack, which I was so thrilled about. And I feel her turning me by my shoulders around. And I think, like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And I feel this thing go over my eyes. And I realize as she pulls it tight that it's the t-shirt that had been shot out of the cannon at the minor league baseball game. And so she threw me across the bed with the t-shirt over my eyes. And I'm laying there with my legs splayed. And all of a sudden I feel something very cold and wet at the entrance of my ass. And I think, is Vanilla Lady going, is that, oh... 
And she fucked me up the ass so hard until I just begged her to stop. And as I'm laying like spent across, I think I'd fallen off the bed onto the floor. I'm laying like spent and just like completely in this like tight ball of pain and pleasure. She pulls the t-shirt off my eyes and I look down and I realize what had she been fucking me with was that little tiny baseball bat from the minor league game. And I thought, huh, this might work. I don't think she's too vanilla. This might be the right woman for me. And we fucked for like four more years after that. story uh, was not indication enough of what show you're listening to we're working right now on uh, a couple of episodes that are more you know are more like profound tear jerky kind of stuff so it's nice this week to be getting this nuttier stuff out of our system that was kelly dunham uh, with a story we call batter up and needless to say kelly was a nun Uh, Before she became a stand-up comedian. And maybe not so much an aficionado of baseball, but of its accoutrement. (laughs) That was really good pronunciation of accoutrement. And this is a group called Hey Ocean, with a song called I Am A Heart. Our final story today comes from another of our very favorites. You know, we don't often have people reading stories on the show, but Carlos Kotkin is so damn funny with his written stories. His book, Please God Let It Be Herpes, is getting a lot of attention now. It's just got this dry style. It's so endearing, I think. And here he is now, out in Los Angeles, with a story he calls... Marsha Nadell. While attending the USC School of Cinema Television, I was assigned to make a short character sketch. (laughs) (laughs) Students were only allowed to have one person in their short. For each additional human being who appeared, we would be docked a grade. I thought this was stupid. For starters, art, in any form, cannot be graded. If it could, if it could, the Mona Lisa would definitely earn a C minus. In my opinion, in my opinion, her smile is not enigmatic at all. She is amused, thinking, look at these people, mesmerized because I have no eyebrows and I'm really a man. (laughs) I quickly figured out a way to break the one-person rule without actually breaking it. My second cast member would be a blow-up doll. I would name her Marsha Nadell. I don't know why I chose this name. Chalk it up to the will of God. Nowadays, I'm a bad boy who can get pretty wild, even on weeknights. But when I was in college, my soul was still pure. Consequently, I had no clue where to purchase adult paraphernalia. To me, buying a blow-up doll was the same as buying enriched uranium. 
I began, I began my search using the same source I would have used were I seeking enriched uranium, the phone book. <laughs> I thumbed through the pages, first through the bees, hoping to find blow-up doll. Where it should have been, there was only blood test and blueprinting. Next, I looked under sex, as in sex doll, but only found sexual assault counseling. <laughs> it was finally the A's that led me in the right direction. Under adult products, I learned of a store called The Pleasure Chest, located in homosexually controlled West Hollywood. <laughs> when I pulled into the busy parking lot of The Pleasure Chest, my pulse began to race. I felt like I was buying condoms for the first time. As I self-consciously walked into the crowded store, I noticed an employee cordially ask a conservative-looking man, can I help you? The conservative man, equally cordial, replied, yes, I'm looking for something evil. <laughs> Avoiding all eye contact, I began searching for Marsha Nadell. The pleasure chest was a whole new world. I saw portable vaginas for people on the go. <laughs> Strangely, I did not find any blow-up dolls. My inability to locate them forced me to seek assistance. I approached an androgynous employee standing behind the checkout counter and concluded she was female, judging by the, pa the badge pinned to her vest, which read, yes, I'm a dyke. <clears throat> I asked the self-proclaimed dyke if she could please show me where the blow-up dolls were, clarifying the doll was not for my personal use, but rather for a film. She nodded and smiled, obviously convinced I was going to bang the doll's brains out. <laughs> She led, me, she led me to an area I had somehow missed, loaded with dolls, and explained the various differences as if she was selling cars. The low-end models ran at $20. They featured a drawn-on face with ruby red lips and a permanent wink. The higher-end dolls began at $500. They had real human hair in all the places real humans have hair and were capable of hugging back. <laughs> On a tight budget, I decided to go with the $20 model. I also purchased an inflatable sheep I spotted, defiantly adding a third character to my film. <laughs> the helpful dyke rang up my items and with a sly grin said, have a good night, sweetie. Again, I told her it was for a student film. She winked at me. When I got back to my dorm room, I began to inflate my new friends. I started with the sheep, who I named Alan Cartwright. It only took a few minutes to get Alan fully inflated. Next was Marcia Nadell. It was not as easy to blow her up. Like many women, it was taking a ridiculous amount of time to get her even halfway there. Nearly out of breath, I examined Marsha and discovered a fatal flaw. She had a lengthy gash down her right leg. I carefully sealed the gash with tape, but air continued to escape through microscopic openings. As I studied the flaccid blow-up doll, I uncomfortably realized I was going to have to go back to the pleasure chest and tell them my doll wasn't working. <laughs> With Marsha Nadell stuffed in my backpack, I left my dorm room and ran into a fellow student filmmaker in the corridor, Matt from Kansas. On the first day of class, Matt announced he wanted to make films to spread the word of Christ through cinema. He smiled when he saw me and asked what I was up to. I told him I needed to return some defective equipment for my upcoming film shoot. He asked if he could join me. I agreed. <laughs> We 
We arrived at the pleasure chest and Matt began to hyperventilate. I pulled the crumpled sex doll out of my backpack, informing Matt that Marsha Nadell was injured. Matt stared at the store in shock and declared it was a dirty place for sinners. He still went inside. The store was even more crowded than before. Matt and I got in line at the main checkout counter. The dyke was there, helping a young couple select the perfect vibrator. The boyfriend mentioned this was their first vibrator. His girlfriend added it was their first vibrator together. <laughs> the young couple purchased their desired vibrator. It was now my turn. I placed Marsha Nadell on the counter. The dyke remembered me, sympathetically asking, what happened, is she not the one? <laughs> she walked me over to the doll section and handed me a new box with a new Marsha Nadell. I didn't want to drive all the way back to USC only to discover this Marsha was also flawed. So I removed her from the box and began inflating her in the store. And the people in the store began assuming I was a sex-starved pervert who couldn't wait long enough to get my doll out to the parking lot. After several minutes of huffing and puffing and sounding like a horny Darth Vader, the new Marsha Nadell came to life. I looked around curious to see if any customers were actually paying attention to me. All of them were. <laughs> All of them except for Matt, who had disappeared. <clears throat> I carefully groped Marsha Nadell, listening for the sound of hissing. A jolly, pot-bellied man walked by and asked, Are you checking for holes? She's supposed to have holes. That's what she's for. <laughs> Clearly, a sitcom writer. <clears throat> I found Matt salivating over a 16-month lesbian calendar. We left the pleasure chest with a healthy, inflated Marsha Nadell under my arm. Everyone who watched us go, no doubt, considered us a happy threesome. <laughs> now that I had secured Marsha Nadell, I needed to cast her love interest. I chose my roommate, a mild-mannered computer science major named Dan. I told Dan, I'm making a short. I want you to star in it. You'll have to have all kinds of crazy sex with a blow-up doll. And also there's a sheep named Alan Cartwright. It's a character sketch. <clears throat> Dan said, okay. We shot the film over the weekend. It was never my original intent, but somehow I ended up with a student film that contained oral copulation, bestiality, fisting, and golden showers. <laughs> I considered it a portrait of a lonely young man who only wanted to love and be loved. <laughs> when I screened it for my film class, half the students were inspired and the other half horrified. <laughs> Matt from Kansas was not a fan. My professor was. Not that it matters in the slightest, but he gave me an A. show for this week folks do not forget that we want your stories funny sad gut-wrenching jaw-dropping send them our way go to the submissions page at risk-show.com plenty of very helpful tips there on how to craft a compelling and succinct pitch for us so that we uh we can get back to you and put you on this show 
If you liked Carlos Kotkin's story on this show, listen. He will be at the next Risk Live show in Los Angeles on June 28th, 2012. Also, Andrea Rosen and Beowulf Jones on that very same night, June 28th, 2012, in New York. We've got Tom Shalhoub, Mara Wilson, Simon Amstel. These are ridiculously packed shows. Great people, great stories. Come out to see us. Check out risk-show.com slash tour to find out about our live shows. This is Loxley with a song called The Whip behind me now. It is far too hot and sweaty in this little sound booth in my living room for me to continue to want to tell you things. And there's a Korean fellow on his way over who is going to allow me to lick his butt. So... Until next time, folks, <laughs> today is the day. Take a moment, take a look in the mirror, uh, maybe even take yourself a poo. But for Pete's sake, my friend, take a goddamn risk. Why? Well, just We are hiring agents for our gay phone sex line. I, that might have peaked. <laughs> what was that? No, it didn't. It actually didn't. It in, was okay. In the live show, I hit my head with the mic. So oh, I guess I was trying. Oh, okay. But I could do... Or I could do something <laughs> like that. Yeah, 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 totally. Okay.